The title of today's message is An Attitude of Rest. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2 and Psalm 95, all right? Genesis 2 and Psalm 95. And if you're proficient at Bible turning, then you could also mark Hebrews 4, because we will all go to Hebrews 4 after we're at Psalm 95, after we're at Genesis 2. Have you got all those references? In the series, The Blueprint, I preached one message on the Sabbath and honoring the Sabbath. And everybody came up to me after and said, man, that's incredible. And I'm convicted now to do it. You just didn't tell me how. So we're going to talk a little more about it. When I was on this recuperation time, and by the way, last night and this morning, this is the first time I've been able to get a sport coat on since the um, accident, you know, in my shoulders. So I'm Glad to be able to look presentable again for you. But um, I read two books. I told you about one of them last week, Philip Yancey, Where is God When It Hurts? The second book I read was by Mark Buchanan called The Rest of God. And we had them in the bookstore, and everybody bought them last night. So if you want one, go by the bookstore. We'll order more. We'll have more next week. But I want to talk to you about that. It is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. And I think that's saying a lot because I've read a lot of books. Another way to say it is it's one of the few books that I've finished. <laughs> uh, I, I have a, a, a little bit of a short attention span. And um, so when I read a book after two, three, four chapters, if it doesn't have something fairly new, then I feel like, okay, I've got it, pal. Now tell me something new, you know. And so, uh, but this book is new every chapter. It's incredible. It's called The Rest of God. And we'll have it if you want to get it next week or if you want to order it this week. So let's talk about it. How to have an attitude of rest. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. I, I just want to ask one question before we go to Psalm 95, and that is this. Why would God, omnipotent, which means all-powerful, who never sleeps never, nor slumbers, why would God rest? Is it possible that one of the reasons He rests is that like a concerned parent, He lies down beside an exhausted child who needs a nap? Is it possible that God knows that we need to rest, and therefore, out of His love for us, He literally lies down one day a week beside us? And I wonder how many of us are missing the opportunity to rest with God. Now go to Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is a very famous psalm about worship. Come and let us kneel down before the Lord our God, our Maker. Let us enter into His presence with thanksgiving, let us sing and shout joyfully to the Lord. But if you look down at verse 7, it begins to talk about the Sabbath, which worship is about resting in God. Psalm 95, verse 7, He is our God. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Now watch this, because it's very important what we're about to read. We'll see it again in Hebrews 4. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation, and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts. Interesting statement. By not keeping the Sabbath, do we go astray in our hearts. 
and they do not know my ways. Verse 11, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. Now, I just want you to notice there were two phrases, one in Genesis 2 and one in in Psalm 95 we need to remember. Genesis 2 tells us that God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And Psalm 95 tells us that I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 4, and let me show you how the New Testament pulls these two passages together, and then we'll talk about it, all right? Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place, that's Genesis 2, (laughs) of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, this is Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, that's Psalm 95 again, today... After such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, that's when they went to the promised land, had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. That's an incredible statement. Here we have the New Testament saying, There's still a Sabbath. There's still a rest. There is still an rest that we can enter into. And I want to talk to you more about the attitude of rest than the action of rest. More than just taking one day a week. And by the way, don't be legalistic about this. You know, you may own a business where you need to be open on Sundays, but you could give your employees another day off and you need to take a day off. Uh, you, you may not have ever thought about this, but I have to work on Sundays. So how can I honor the Sabbath? And you might say, well, actually, the Sabbath is Saturday. I have to work on Saturdays, too. So what do I do? I still honor the principle by resting, by taking a day a week and spending time with God. But it's more than a day a week. I don't want to just talk to you about a day a week. I want to talk to you about an attitude of rest. Do you live with an attitude of stress, worry, and anxiety and fear? Or do you live with an attitude of rest, knowing that your God is on the throne and has everything under control? So if we're going to have an attitude of rest, first we're going to have to change our attitude in some other areas, all right? And about some other things. So let me give you three attitudes that we're going to have to change. Number one, our attitude toward work. I don't know if you realize how much time we work, but it's six days a week. We spend most of our time thinking about work, planning for work. Looking forward to work, feeling guilty if we don't do enough of it, and feeling resentful when we do too much of it. Our life just kind of revolves around work. But you will never have a proper understanding of rest until you understand work. And let me say it another way. You'll never appreciate the gift of rest until you understand the gift of work. And work is a gift from God. It is not a part of the curse. It was before the curse. It was before sin. Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. He gave him a job before. Why? We, we could say the same answer that we came up with last week. Why did God create work? Because He loves us. He wanted us to do something that would be rewarding and fulfilling. He didn't want us just sitting around bored to death and and not having anything to accomplish. 
He gave each of us a gift that we could do something with our minds and with our hands, and that at the, after we do it, we feel fulfilled, we feel rewarded because we accomplished something. God gave us work because He loves us. Now, I will say this, though. The curse makes it harder. You ever had a bad day at work? You ever had a tough day? Well, I'm going to help you. The next time you have a difficult day at work, I want to tell you something that will help you be grateful for your job. On the way home from work, stop by a pharmacy and buy a rectal thermometer. Now, this illustration will not get any more gross than it is right now, okay? Relax. But when you get home, take out the written material that comes with the thermometer and read on there by a rectal thermometer, by the way, by, from Q-tip, all right? And read on there, and this is what you'll read. Every rectal thermometer by Q-tip is personally tested. <laughs> then I want you to get down on your knees and say, thank you, God, that I do not work in quality control at Q-tip. You will thank God for your job. Every one of us are gifted by God and called by God to do something. As a matter of fact, you know the word vocation. You know what the word vocation actually means? It means the work that the voice told you to do. That's what it means. See, somehow we don't think that a fireman is called by God to be a fireman. Matter of fact, let me give you this illustration. What comes to your mind when I use this phrase, the work of the Lord? He's involved in the work of the Lord. She's involved in the work of the Lord. Well, we think of a pastor or a missionary, someone in vocational ministry, right? No. Listen, whatever you do, if you're a believer, that is the work of the Lord for you. Can you imagine if the whole world was preachers? It'd be a horrible place to live. We'd be yelling at each other. Always trying to show someone else what we saw in the Bible. If we had no firefighters, no police officers, no nurses, no doctors, no teachers, no construction workers, we wouldn't even have houses to live in. Because preachers can't build things, I promise. (laughs) God has called you. The voice has told you to do something. And if you will give yourself to that, you will learn to rest. Because I want you to understand something. The best rest you'll ever have is after a hard day of work. Of doing what God has called you to do. So we're going to have to understand that work is not a curse. Work is something that God's called us to do. And it is to be fulfilling and rewarding. So we need to change our attitude toward work. Secondly, we need to change our attitude toward time. We're always rushing around trying to save time. Trying to make time. Well, I want to tell you three things about time. And you'll have to write these down, All right. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about time. You cannot make it. You cannot make time. It's already been made. God created the earth and the sun and the orbit, put it in its orbit, and you can't change it. You can't do one thing. You can't add a second to your day. No way at all. A guy wrote me a a while back that I've known for years and uh, wrote an email and said, hey, can we get together for lunch? And at that season of my life, I couldn't get together for lunch. And so I wrote him back and said, I'm sorry, I can't do it right now. 
he wrote me back and said, can't you make time for me? Now, I never heard that statement that way before. But, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat of a grammarian, and so I think about things sometimes, kind of dissect a sentence. For me is a prepositional phrase, which means it's not part of the body of the sentence. It can be taken away, and the, the sentence still mean the same. So here was his question. Can't you make time for me? Take for me off. Listen to what he asked me. Can't you make time? That's what he asked. Can you make time? I wrote him back and said, no, I can't. <laughs> Only God can. God's already made time. I cannot make an extra hour. I, I thought about it one time, and I told God, God, I don't know why you didn't do this, but if you'd have just given us one extra hour a day, every day, and somehow it would work out right, where maybe during our sleep, we could sleep an extra hour, but we wouldn't know it when we got up. We'd just feel the results of it, you know? But God didn't do that. You cannot make time. Let me tell you something else about time. You cannot save it. Listen to me. You cannot save time. See, time is like money. You have a certain amount, and you have to manage it. If you have so much for your house, money, so much for your car, so much for clothes, so much for food, so much for all these different things, if you're going to, to buy a bigger house, you've got to take it from somewhere else. Or you've got to have more money. Here's the only problem with time. You can't get more of it. You only have a certain amount. So, when someone asks me to go to lunch, then I either have to take time away from the staff, or I have to take time away from studying, or I have to take time away from my family, but I can't just make more time. You understand what I'm saying? And I can't save it up and then use it. Because time is going out of your account every second. It just goes out. One second at a time, it goes out. No matter what you do, you cannot save it. I have spent most of my life trying to save time. Every time I go to the bank, to the drive-thru, I try to choose the right line. I have never been right. Never chosen the right line. When I'm on the freeway and the traffic is slowing down, have you ever noticed this? The lane you're in, the lane beside you is just going like this. Right? So you wait, put your bleaker on, you finally zip over it, now that lane takes off going. Every time, here's what I've discovered, every time I've tried to save time, I've actually wasted it. Pick your children up from school and think maybe I can, while she's telling me about her day, I can think about these other things. You know what you're actually doing? You're wasting time because she's never going to be in third grade again. She'll never be eight years old in three months and four days again. Tomorrow she'll be eight years old, three months and five days. And I'm telling you, we've lost a lot of time because we've tried to save it. You cannot save time. So you can't make it. That's the first thing I want to tell you about it. You can't save it. Here's the third thing I want to tell you about it. You can only spend it. You can only spend time. The question is, how are you going to spend it? Are you going to spend it wisely or foolishly? You have a choice. Every second of the day, how are you going to spend the next few minutes? I was ministering in the church one time, and I was sitting on the platform during worship. Worship is going on. Everyone is worshiping God. You know what I was doing? I was thinking about a problem that I was having. Something I needed to work out and fix. And the Lord spoke to me. What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to work out this problem. He said, well, everyone else is worshiping me. So I began to worship him. And then when I was worshiping, he gave me, he gave me a revelation I'll never forget. He said, for the next hour, the sole purpose you are on this earth is to minister to these people. 
They need your full attention. They need everything you have. I'll take care of the problem. I need you to choose to spend this hour on this group of people. See, we have to choose how we're going to spend our time. This last week, I was writing this message. Writing this message. And uh, our son and daughter-in-law were over at the house with our new grandchild. Debbie came in with our new grandbaby into the office. I had a choice to make, whether to keep writing or to stop and spend some time with my grandbaby. You lost. (laughs) I had a choice. How was I going to spend the next ten minutes? You see what I'm saying? You have a choice. How are you going to spend your time? Now, here's the sad thing. We believe that rest is a poor investment of our time. And it's not. It's just like tithing. Many people don't believe that 90% with God's blessing goes farther than 100% without. Many people don't believe that six days with God's blessing, you can accomplish more than seven days without. You know, following me? You have to make a choice. What are you going to do with your time? And we have to understand that it is a wise investment to take our time in the study and to spend time with God, to rest. There are two times when the fourth commandment's in the Bible, which is remember the Sabbath. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. There's something, though, that a lot of people haven't noticed about the fourth commandment. In Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, it gives a different reason for observing it. (laughs) It says to observe it, but it gives a different reason. Exodus 20 says you need to observe it because God created the world in six days on the seventh day rest. In other words, the reason to observe the Sabbath is creation. Deuteronomy, though, doesn't give that reason. Deuteronomy says you need to observe the Sabbath because you need to remember that you were slaves in Egypt and God redeemed you. See, God created this perfect world, and in the perfect world, He created the day to rest. But sin came in the world, so we couldn't rest anymore. So God redeemed us so we could still have a day of rest. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, there's two reasons to remember the Sabbath. One is because God created us. The second is because when we fell, God redeemed us. We were slaves. You, you need to understand something about slaves. Slaves can't rest. They cannot choose to take a day off. There is a person there with a whip that will say to them, you cannot stop and rest right now. Right? God, in His mercy, drowned the taskmasters in the sea. Here's the bad thing, though. Most of us pulled a few of them out and resuscitated them. And any time we try to rest... They're there with a whip. You ever got a whipping when you tried to rest for a minute? You, here, it goes something like this. Who do you think you are? And what do you think you're doing? Have you forgotten all the things that you need to be doing right now? Apparently you have, so I'll list them for you. You ever had that happen? When you lie down just for a few minutes, you can't rest because your mind tells you all the things you should be doing. That's a taskmaster. Here's what the Bible says. I came to set you free from slavery. I came to be your God and to be so in control that you could stop and rest and you could take a day off. So that leads me into the third attitude we're going to have to change. And that is our attitude toward God. Now listen very, very carefully to this bold statement I'm going to make. If you have a difficulty resting, it's because you don't trust God. 
God might not be up to the task of taking care of things if you're not working. If you take a day off, he might upset all of creation. Either God's in control or he's not. Either God's working things for your good or he's not. We read in Hebrews a moment ago, here's the reason that they could not enter his rest, because of unbelief. Let me give you another word for unbelief, mistrust. Some of you know that I like uh, boating. And the boat that I have is uh, a boat that's called, made by a company called Correct Craft. They make the ski nautiques that did all the shows and the, the air nautiques and things like that. What you may not know is they're owned by Christians, 80 years now, Christian company. And they always take a day off. They always take the Sabbath off. During World War II, they were making boats for the war effort. The government came to them and said, we need 700 boats in 15 days to cross the Rhine River. And we're going to different boat manufacturers and want to know how many boats you can make in, in 15 days. Well, they'd been making 60 boats a month, which would be 15, uh, 30 boats in 15 days. So they said, well, let us pray and we'll ask the Lord. So they prayed, and the Lord said, I'll, I'll multiply it by ten. You can make three hundred. And immediately God gave them an idea. They put an ad in the paper the next day for volunteers, and all of these ladies came out because not many ladies served in World War II. There were a few, but not many. All these wives of, of servicemen and these uh, children of servicemen volunteered so much they had to close four city blocks because of all the volunteers. And then that night, the son of the owner, who had also worked in the business, got a dream from God of a part, a machine, that would make boats faster. And it's still used by every major boat builder in the country today. Because God gave him a dream. Well, a few days after they started, Sunday came. So they closed. They sent everybody home. The colonel in charge said, you can't do that. We're in an emergency, a state of emergency. You only have 15 days. You can't close. They said, we're not working on Sunday. The Bible says to rest one day a week. And they said, we'll get more done in six days by resting one day a week than we would in seven. The colonel said, if you don't open your doors, I'm going to close your company forever and I'm going to file treason charges on you and put you in prison. They had a choice whether to trust God. They said, well, we're just going to trust God. He started treason proceedings the next day on them. A general heard about it, who apparently was a believer, and called the colonel and said, you better stop what you're doing right now. So he had to stop. They made their 300 boats in 12 days. There were four other companies that were only going to make 100 each, which would be the 400 plus the 300 would be 700. After 12 days, the government came to him and said the four other companies that only had to make 100 each are behind. The owner of the company said he wanted to say, but he didn't. You mean the ones that worked seven days a week? <laughs> they said, could you make some more? They said, yeah. They made a hundred more boats in three days. So they made 400 boats. They sent all 700 overseas. And when they got to the Rhine River, the 400 boats Correct Craft made, the 300 boats that the other four manufacturers made, those 300 boats wouldn't work. They wouldn't hold the motors. They were made incorrectly. And so they said, well, let's just see how many troops we can get in these 400 boats. All of the troops got in the 400 boats made by Correct Craft. And General Eisenhower said it was a miracle like the parting of the Red Sea. And they made it across the river because God blesses his principle. And let me tell you one more thing about the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath begins in the evening. You ever wondered why? It doesn't begin at sunrise. It begins at sunset. 
Why would God do that? Well, what do you do shortly after it gets dark? Go to sleep. You understand what God's trying to say? Listen, when you're asleep, you're not controlling anything. You're not creating anything. You're not inventing anything. You're not mastering anything. And you're the most vulnerable you'll ever be in your life. You have to completely trust when you go to sleep. God wanted our day of rest to start with a good night's sleep. <laughs> You've got to trust God to be able to go to sleep. Have you ever had a problem going to sleep? Anybody? Why? Hey, I've had problems too. I can tell you why. I don't trust God. I can't go to sleep. I've got to take care of things. Now, I'm married to this wonderful woman. She can sleep anywhere, anytime, any place, instantly. Sometimes we'll be lying in bed, and we'll be talking, and she'll say to me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little tired, I'd, I'd like to go into sleep. I say, that's great, honey, I, I love you, I'll see you in the morning. I hear, <laughs> she's gone, just that fast. One night she was lying there sleeping, and I was lying beside her doing what I was supposed to be doing, worrying. And I was a little angry at her, because she was sleeping while she should have been worrying with me. And she can sleep through anything. And here's what I thought to myself. Now, we're traditional. You have to understand. I know this doesn't go well with the younger families. I understand that. But we're just kind of a traditional family. She's taking care of the home. I've taken care of the finances for 27 years. She will tell you this, though. She has never worried one day about our finances. It's not her responsibility. She doesn't know where we are financially. Not because I don't tell her. Simply because she doesn't care. She has no clue where we are. I'll tell her. She does. She forgets it the next day. She has no, no. She uh, will. We'll have be having a miracle offering. You know, like we do miracle offers every now, every now and then. I'll say to her, "How much do you think we should give?" She'll say, fifty thousand. <laughs> what? <laughs> How would you think we got that much? You know, she, I don't know. Five. I don't know. Ten. Whatever. Just do whatever you want to do. Okay, that's our. That's kind of our thing. I've taken care of that. She's never worried about it. So she's lying there sleeping, and I'm kind of mad at her because we're going through a time when we should be worrying about it, you know. And I was thinking to myself, you know why she's sleeping? Because of me. Because I take care of her. She doesn't have a worry in the world. She has a husband that takes care of her. And the Lord said to me, I'm sitting there looking at her, and the Lord said to me, Why can't you sleep? And then I said to him, Because I don't have a husband. That takes care of me. And it was like a dagger through his heart. Because he said, Oh, really? He said, Let me tell you something, son. I take care of you better than you take care of her. And I'm your husband. And if you trusted me, you could go to sleep. I want us to live with an attitude of rest. You know what that means? An attitude of trust. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Are you going through a difficult time right now? Maybe with your family? Maybe one of your children is not going the right way, and it's just worrying you and stressing you. And I understand that. I understand being concerned about our children. But could we trust God even with our children? 
Can we trust God with our health issues? Can we trust God with our finances? Can we trust God? There remains a rest for the people of God. And then Hebrews tells us when we can enter it. It says it's a certain day. You know what the day is? Today. Today. If you will not harden your heart, today, if you will hear His voice, you can enter His rest.